doubted you. No, that's fair. It said last seen five days ago. <laughs> I said, but I need yeah, to see him right now. And Skype was go. like, no, I haven't seen him in five days. You don't understand. I haven't we even know seen... Skype's up to something. Skype. Skype. Skype's it's like a mystery I, package. I said, he doesn't live here. He comes here every once in a while. He was here last week sometime, like five days ago. I don't know. That's the last time I saw him. Skype shrugs. So either, so you're seeing Skype as more of a nervous wit, um, person being questioned who clearly knows more than they're letting on. <laughs> and I see Skype as an unnecessarily dramatic um, unsolved mystery channels type of person. Last seen five days ago. I was actually thinking more of Skype as like a uh, neighborhood corner store owner who doesn't normally get asked questions like that. And it's like, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> no, he didn't come here. He comes here every day. Because <laughs> uh, it eventually, as we've discussed before, for some reason, eventually, it, and in the, the I feel like the window, like where it could, could still give you a, a, day, a day number, could be wider, but I feel like after like seven days, it just switches to last seen days ago. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I those are the those are the little features that really make these yeah. things worthwhile. It's really the um, yeah, it's the joy that you get out of the user experience of Skype just openly hiding obvious information from you. Um, Again, yes, it's the meta experience. What the fun thing for me about Skype is, other than talking to you, Skype is a weird journey back into like when I was working at my previous job and talking to clients a lot. Because <laughs> other than uh, you, I don't have any Skype calls from the last like three years. So it's just a list of people I used to work with, basically. I don't think I have Skype. Oh, well, here's a here's something amusing: the Skype. My Skype usage outside of this podcast has been two different instances. One in which I Skyped you into a D&D &D game <laughs> years ago. Right. And one in which I recently Skyped a friend into a D&D &D game who had just moved out of town. So that's really my entire usage. Man, that 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 remote D and D game got that. First of all, that was a really long time ago. Like I want to say, like six years ago, uh, or something. Feel it, it was long, uh, and we ran two cameras. And this was before Twitch existed, because we ran one of the cameras through Justin TV streaming, um, mm -hmm. which was the proto Twitch. I either got shut down by or turned into or something Twitch. And it would run, it ran just barely too slow. So every mm, five or 10 minutes, it would be, it would become noticeably more behind to the point where like that camera was running like five or 10 seconds behind the action. And then we had to re reload it. Those were the days, I guess. <laughs> that was like, oh, 10 years ago, dude. Was it really? I'm pretty sure. <sighs> I mean, I can't scroll back. Wait, what does your Skype tell you? Or does it just say days no, ago? I'm using my brain with memories. Oh, no. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not something I should do. I almost died getting out of bed this morning. 
Not nothing really dramatic. Just like my brain told me, you know, like it increasingly uses it uses logic, and then it uses threats that clearly are illogical, okay. and then it loses the battle. It's like, yeah, you don't need to get up. Cam's probably not me on. You know, it's, you tr- you know that's you work, pretty close to true. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. But then it got to be where like it was even going to be when you were going to get on, and it's like you know you work late, you deserve to sleep. And then I'm like about to sit up, and it's like you'll probably be sick. Get back down. You'll probably be sick. Yeah, like it's like, do you? Am I feeling nauseous? I'm pretty sure you're feeling nauseous. Don't get up. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, you're, that's a your your brain takes a more malevolent sort of tactic than mine. Uh, I would say I, I'm I'm not sitting there in bed worrying that I'm going to become sick. I'm too. It's all illusory. I feel too I mean, strongly about not being sick. I'm I'm very I I feel like a non-zero factor in how rarely I get sick is that I hate getting sick so badly that I sort of like. Um, I feel like that factors so into my like immune the, system. So it's like the the fear placebo effect. <laughs> well, mm, yeah, or or I, I'm actually stronger because of it. Like it's sure. I I, I, I fully re- I fully disregard that mm, interpretation. De- denial is powerful, Brock. If I yeah. <laughs> have denial about uh, the possibility of being sick. I feel it's like true. that moves. I've always thought of yeah. denial as like a a blanket um, vice, but mm. <clears throat> who mm. knew? Or, I, I didn't really think it could be used for a positive or a superpower. <laughs> it, the uh, the flu um, has been. I, I I live in daily fear of the flu. It's been pretty <laughs> bad here, um, and like I looked at the flu chart. Um, that they put out, they put out like a weekly flu report if, that you can go to on the Chicago um, city website, Chicago flu map. Let me see if I can find it. Because um, last time I looked at it a few weeks ago, uh, it was um, terrifying. Like most, so every every home is equipped with a flu button, and uh, every time somebody finally comes down with it, they're like, "Oh crap!" And they go over and they smash the giant red flu button. And it mm. updates the flu map. I, you know, again, if we had our 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 funding more equally distributed <laughs> across the city, yes, uh, that would be amazing. Or um, let's see, I'm looking at it now, and it's uh, it's a lot less scary. Um, it's mo- it's like a combination of green and red. But a few weeks ago, um, I realized that a lot of people at work had been out uh, in. And I just hadn't thought about it, and no one had mentioned it. Because, like, I, before in Florida, I feel like in Florida, the flu was, maybe it was just the people I was with, but the flu was a pretty big deal. Like, if anybody got the flu, everyone was like, oh, did you hear, you know, Daniel got the flu, he's out. Like, you're like, oh, God, someone got the flu. Daniel died. Oh, <laughs> and then, like, um, here, uh, I, I had to, like, inquire around and discover that, like, oh, yeah, half of that other side of the office has gotten the flu. Um, it's been really bad. And since then, I've taken numerous precautions that I don't normally uh, take. Um, I've uh, gotten stopped. into homeopathy. I've got, almost. I, well, let me get there. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I did take the flu shot, but so did uh, various people that have caught the flu or claimed to have gotten the flu. One guy said he felt like he got the super flu, which I think pri- might just mean that he can't 
you know, handle the normal flu. That's um, his brain talking. He yeah. didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah, it's whatever the reverse of the denial that I have is. And uh, he, uh, but but I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm. There are communal snack areas like big snack canisters that we have refilled um, that I have not touched. I haven't even looked at them. I avoid the snack canisters um, for the time being. Um, I'm washing my hands about far more often than I normally do. Like I'm definitely not a super active hand washer. If I'm eating food at work that doesn't necessarily require like, um, not using a fork. If I'm food, sorry, if I'm eating food that is uh, utensil driven, I'm going to give my hands a cursory wash at best at best. Um, but no, I've become, you know, religious hand washer. This picture is really filling in great. You, you're you're increasingly suspicious of everyone around you, mm-hmm. and you feel like it's a you know you've you've ramped up in your mind. You're increasing your precautions, but how other people view you is you're skulking, skulking. <laughs> you're skulking around the office, like peeking around corners, um, just bathing yourself in alcoholic. Hand sanitizer. I don't. I don't use the hand sanitizer. I will say. I, I feel like if you might as well just wash your hands. Um, if it, if it's you know if you're like at a baseball game or something, yeah, throw some hand sanitizer. But like, or well, I think kids. it's a last minute option. I, sure. There's quite a bit of science saying perhaps it actually does more problems than good over time. Right. Um, <clears throat> well, like, anyway, the problem is. That yeah, you even become suspicious of your coworkers. Uh, I absolutely, that, do. And, and you're like, you know, oh, did it tell you to say that? Just like personifying the flu into this full blown character, like puppet master. I've been trying to make sure to say the flu and not remove the word the uh, to hide that part of it, but you've you've uncovered it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the uh, the coffee maker. You touch the coffee maker. Now I'm thinking about that every time because who touches more things? In the office, what is the most touched shared item? There's not doorknobs in a lot of office. The most shared touched item in a see the fact that I'm even thinking about this is really ex- wait. You like, guys don't have doors. Well, I'm saying we have this doors, like but like it's portals? an office door. It's like a you know you, you just push on it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or, my nightmare is the. It's not like a twisty doorknob. Bathroom. You know. Oh, the the, the bathrooms living, a living in an door. adult world. Yeah, I don't to make this too trivial here, but it really did, did start to bother me is that the occasions in which as an adult in a public space, I'm just like too much in a hurry or too completely spaced out or out of it to wash my hands after going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. is in like the 0.001 percentile. But it appears that there is still a large group of adults who doesn't feel that it is necessary to wash their hands when sharing spaces with others Mm. after the bathroom. I mean, I only ask that one thing. Like, I would love for you to wash your hands more than that, but I'm not going to hold you to that. Right. Well, no, I, I don't know. It's, it sounds so trivial, but it really has changed the way I think about how people interact. It's like seeing someone drop a piece of litter on the ground for no good reason. 
there's just saying, hey, look, Mm. I know other people are around, maybe, but it's not really my problem. Yeah, there, there's, I, I'm, yes, I think that, uh, there's a social contract violation. Uh, not that you don't want, like, here's the, here's the line in the sand for me is like, if you are alone and and you use uh, the bathroom and you leave sans hand washing and no one knows, then that is not the thing I'm seeking to police because no, like literally by definition, no one knows. Like I wasn't there. I can't tell you what to do. Ultimately, we're all covered in bacteria all the time. I'm not like super concerned with the actual health implications of your junk uh, being one hand away from me, uh, you know, contact-wise. I don't mind being one degree removed from your, you know, the Kevin Bacon. I do. Okay, I, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. But like again, unprovable. It's a, it's a, it's an unprovable crime unless you um. Are, it's are a lower advo- level. I get it. I mean, unless yeah. you're advocating for some sort of um, bathroom monitoring system. You're, you're indicating when you're in there together, you're at a sink, uh-huh. they finish going to the bathroom, and they, they give you a quick out. little eye contact, Ugh, and, no eye you contact. know, like, hey, and then they leave, like, daring you to say something. Yeah, no, that's, so that's, that's the thing, is, like, if you are aware that there is another person then the the thing that you do, I'll, I mean, there's a couple of things that, I mean, I don't want to get into like all of the vagaries of bathroom etiquette, one of which is no eye contact. Um, sure, sure. But like the, um, that there is the, that, that's the social contract, right? It's that I. Well, I, you're just saying that person has a decent or has accepted the lowest level of the social contract. Yeah, but it's, it's the most fundamental level. If, if you're, if, if you can't, if you, for some reason, are not a hand, uh, you know, you don't feel like um, you need to be, you're one of those people who says, like, it's the cleanest part of my body or whatever. Like, fine. But, like, that's not what we as a society have decided. <laughs> so we as a society expect you as a, as a weird little dirty man to go wash your hands just as a nod toward us as, a mo- as like, a decent society. Correct. What we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah. But I think it's more important. Again, I'm not saying it's absolute like we all have our moments, but there are some people who I verifiably know I've never seen wash their hands when they leave, right? Mm. There's some people who when you do it and you know no one's around, right, that's what you really think. And when I see somebody who consistently is like, I know other people want me to do this, but the fact that they don't know I'm not means that it is immaterial, is a fundamental feeling that the world around you isn't real if it doesn't affect you directly. <laughs> and it drives me mad. I, I, yeah. I, I recognize and respect your, your uh, desire uh, to legislate. Like, a character is what's happening when no one's around, or is what they I'm not say. not legislating. I, I'm just saying it says something about the person, and I will not forget it. Okay. You're mentally categorizing but like again these are people who you by definition have observed not washing their hands like if every person this is schrodinger's uh bathroom uh schrodinger's dirty dirty um junk hands uh if you if you don't 
No. Like, if, if every person whom you did not observe washing their hands didn't wash their hands, or they only did it when you were around. Well, or I know, but I'm talking you know I mean? like... Like, the actual sample is, is in, in, incomplete, and it's impossible well, to complete there's, it. Well, it's not impossible. You can hear... You can hang there's out There's a couple ways it's happened. <laughs> I, know, I know for a fact that it's happened uh-huh. with certain people. So, yes, it is hard to prove. So you're That's extrapolating. That's why I'm setting up cameras uh-huh. and, uh, in, and hiring a people to loiter outside bathrooms and just taking a few basic notes. Well, I, when I was in, uh, this is a literally not a thing in this entire country, I think. But when I was in, uh, Paris at one point in time, uh, it was pretty common to have a dude hanging out sort of, I mean, maybe that's what he's there for, right? A guy with an eye, eye shot, uh, a, a man with a little tray, yeah, the guy, the uh, service attendant yeah. in the bathroom. No, and, no, he's a monitor. Okay, so is he, I mean, one of his responsibilities might be to sort of like, maybe that man has a very good memory uh, for faces, and he just, you know, maybe they just want to keep an eye on you and, and, and find out who it is that just cruises out of the bathroom. The state, he's an informer. Wiping. He yeah. could be an informer. Or, a, you know, quality control. Um, but it's something that we could examine instituting here uh, in the U.S. I feel like they're, again, social mores being what they are and bathrooms not really being set up for it. Um, you know, maybe maybe you do uh, sort of um, for scale reasons, um, you know, extrapolate that job out to some people in, in a call center, sort of a room full of monitors of sinks. But yeah, and I think this is probably there, there's privacy the top three mm concerns of most citizens is how many people are washing their hands. So I'm sure like this is going to be a top priority. Well, um, it's one of those things where uh, I remember years ago and this drove me nuts that um, I, I used to, I don't anymore, not for a while, used to follow uh, Patton Oswalt on Twitter um, and uh, Patton, the, the comedian. And I'm, he, I'm aware of the he, fellow. Yeah. He's a funny, funny, funny guy. Um, he he uh, tweeted uh, some really like passionate uh, opinions about the, being against what's the a technique that many of us use when we're in a public bathroom, which is I don't know if you do this, but you um, when you go to flush the toilet, you do it with your you kick it. You do it with your foot. I'm aware of this. Well, it depends on the toilet, yes. Right, but if it's your standard sort of like, well, if it's like a push-button deal, like, you know, there's toilets that you probably don't have the shoe range to get to. But the sta- Oh, is there? I think that there is no toilet. Unless they're putting that thing on the ceiling, I'm sure I could work it out. <laughs> Maybe some sort of a extension. I'm thinking of like in the, the EU, the like toilets with the buttons on the back. You probably wouldn't be able to get your foot in there. But buttons again, on the back? Yeah. What is this like a... Is there yeah. a puzzle on the top of it's this like thing? A button on the it's like a two inch diameter button that's like yeah, flush on the, on the okay. yeah okay yeah yeah anyway right. that's really beside the point the point is that uh, you know normally a U.S. public toilet's going to have the lever which is extremely kickable um, so you get you kick that lever and you get out of there um, but he was v- passionate about not kicking the lever and saying that like. If you, you know, you kick the lever, you know, we need to not kick the lever as a society because the reason the lever is dirty in the first place is that people are kicking it. 
Yeah, and I hear you, but it only takes one person. Exactly, exactly. So what? Like at, this is one of those cases where you could, you could, uh, you know, pine for a world in which this doesn't happen. But until it's not happening a hundred percent of the time, it's happening all the time. Well, so I take that point well, and I refer back to your original statement, which is that <clears throat> I'm not sure that it is a major health impact to me, right? It is more about the fact that we all decided we would prefer it. We would prefer not to be interacting with residual parts of other people <laughs> or, or waste. Uh, let's be honest, some waste, all right? We right. prefer not to outside of the health reasons or anything, right? Just imagine we know that a large majority of people prefer not to. That then is incumbent on you to care about the majority of people around you, right? Mm. For no other reason than that's their preference, and it's not a huge inconvenience to you. I mean, I would say that the next step, like we've established something very practical and very very pragmatic, I think, which is that this is secondarily a public health issue. Um, And I do appreciate you very gently talking around the fact that we aren't just talking the pee-pee. (laughs) Um, this is a family podcast yeah (laughs) Uh, there's a darker world of someone walking out of a you know a public stall uh and and cruising directly out um yeah when that happens you're just like their house is on fire yeah that's the only thing that could be happening you have to leave um or (laughs) but like so this isn't yeah it's it's there is a uh there is this is first and foremost a a uh a public decency issue, a public health issue. The public health would rise if we were somehow able to right. legislate so, or encourage, <laughs> nay, maybe through a, like some some PR, um, some sort of like public the shaming. More, well, I was thinking we could get some celebrities on the More You Know campaign. Now we're gonna have to go B or C listers because we're not gonna get high high up ones going for the right. you know bathroom type of PSAs. I would get like one of the SNL featured players or something. Um, yeah, we'll get Chris Red on there. I you see you already nailed someone who I don't know. Boom. Mm. There's like three. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm so I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to the uh, the Star Wars celebration next weekend. Speaking of C and below list players. Um, and uh, the guest list for the Star Wars celebration. This is this big fan convention here. I got some reasonably discounted oh, tickets in from, Chicago. Yeah, okay. it's like a big, um, the big one. Like they're going to be showing footage of episode or something about episode nine there. Um, it's the yeah. It's I, I got a like I said. I got some discount tickets. I got um. I entered into the uh the lottery to get in the presentations we're taking, I'm taking Archer for his like a uh, reward for being done with homeschool uh, co-op. But uh, the, if you go down the list of guests at this thing, um, as one might expect from a giant convention based entirely around star Wars, it gets, it's real like sort of bottom heavy. So you have Anthony Daniels is going to be there. Hayden Christensen, oh, yeah. Hayden Christensen will be there. Uh, Land Billy D Williams, Lando, you know the the big ones, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, but let's just be straight here. If it uh-huh. has to do with the original series or the original trilogy, 
mm-hmm. um, and they were any form of background character, you're going to know the character name at least because of your encyclopedic knowledge of the trading card game. Y- you would think that, um, and but like, and yes, that is that is kind of true. Um, I guess I haven't flexed that muscle in a while, but it's still in there. Um, but you're so let me, let me just hit you with the uh, you know the um, spotlight guests. Your, your top tier is is Hayden Christensen, Ahmed Best. Do you remember who Ahmed Best played? I do not. He was Jar Jar Binks. It was the man uh, with the green suit. Um, so doing to the convention, his identity. He doesn't wear his suit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, considering that this new generation, the kids these days, are very into their uh, prequel memes, I think that the prequels have, have like people don't feel our generation are the ones that are freaking out about the prequels. The the, the kids are they've come around to the the prequels in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's, that's because yeah. they can they can view it from a safe distance. We yeah. had the wounds. We yeah, it's, I really actually if that's a maybe another podcast or podcast series, but like yeah, the difference between seeing it now is this like, well, that's wild. Like episode three is insane. It's like a space. It's the most space opera of any of the Star Wars movies. Like episode three is bombastic and bizarre and uh, stuff. But like at the time, yeah, I, we can't properly explain the <laughs> the jarring like nature of going from a world that episode one didn't exist into two hours later being in a world where episode one existed and trying to process what had just happened. Um, it took me all summer. I saw that movie like seven times and I still didn't like literally in the theater. It's a a pivotal moment in uh, human history and evolution. It will be studied for years to come. It was, I mean, we were like, what was six, 15 or 16. And we, we were, I was driving. I think. I mean, how old we were. I remember the day. Right. Yeah, it was. I me- I remember just like going to see the movie, and then what are we doing today? Oh, we're gonna go see episode one. And I was like, all right. And it was one of those like, I didn't spend the time to like process what I felt about episode one. It was like, well, this is it. Um, all right, let's go. <laughs> and we went back and saw it some more. Um, ugh. anyway, uh, yeah, I th- I think that I had best best and can now come out of hiding a little bit. I don't think that the opinion on episode one specifically has risen, you but, know, but the opinion on what the prequels were going for has definitely come around. I'm I okay. I, I know this is maybe being too, uh, not serious, but too, uh, uh, sincerely honest about something like this, but that's not the word, but anyway, um, <laughs> Ernest, thank you. Uh, but that was actually an important transition point in my life, not because of the movie itself, but because, like you, we saw it so many times, and by the end of that, I I, I was finally like, you know, I gotta say, like, not. I, I feel like it didn't work out. Like, I don't think I really love this movie (laughs) and that was like a major brain situation because especially at that age but even more or equally like just the the culture and the idea of liking something Mm -hmm. to change your mind on something that you absolutely spent 
a a large amount of your time thinking about and caring about and doing stuff with to just change your opinion of it without having to because of peer pressure or something or like a sense of the zeitgeist or the fan opinion or whatever like we were right it, it didn't it exist like, well it probably yeah. did but i wasn't like paying attention to it we're 16 yeah, I mean, it's I 2000 or whatever the, it, i don't yeah. yeah i don't even know if i was 16 was i i don't know but anyway it was like yeah i really remember feeling like my it was my own true opinion that despite what I was supposed to do, I just didn't really, I was like, I got to admit, I don't think this is very good. <laughs> like, I, I really remember that. And, you know, strip away that Star Wars Episode One and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, you know, maybe I owe it something. Because mm. that, of course, is a uh, virtue I find uh, are put in very high regard. Right. Changing one's mind on things, uh, informed flexibility, and, and feeling your opinions as as a cum- accumulation of experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thanks, Jar Jar. <laughs> there you go. Um, I've, I feel like I that was an in, there were a couple interesting years there for me because I had definitely like, and especially given that I was homeschooled and spent a lot of time by myself, um, you know, reading or playing star Wars cards against myself or, uh, <laughs> like doing a lot of like, um, you know, internal video feedback. Games loops. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Multiplayer games. Not usually multiplayer games where us trying to network a windows 98 and a windows XP computer together for, you know, attempting for five hours and then that was the game. Okay. That that was the game. Uh, but for me, like, you know, star Wars being what it was to me, which was, you know, it meant a lot. And I had a lot of information about star Wars cataloged in my brain. And then there was a time period where I feel like I got pulled around by our buddy, Aaron, uh, in not like a bad way, but like Aaron would be like, all right, the movie Strange Brew is really funny. I decree it. And we're all going to watch it because it's awesome. And we'd all be like, okay. And then, like, there were a lot of things that I did, did, did not develop as organically with what I did or what I thought um, as when I was younger because there was this like older kid who had like ideas about what was cool and funny or whatever. And we, I sort of like felt like I fell in line with that a little bit. Like I, we went to episode one a bunch of times, not because I was deciding to, but because like that was kind of what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I uh, yes, but a quick interjection: you're describing having friends. Okay, well, but, it was, yeah, it was that's I know it's new. a strange. Experience. Well, we had we had a little bit of a an enthusiast ringleader, I would say. Or, oh, certainly, yes, yeah. I, I which again is a, one of the dynamics of having friends, but transitioning from. Uh, you know, being 13 and mostly finding all the Star like being 13 and like my Star Wars fandom involved like getting a stack of 10 books from the library and then like coercing uh, my dad to take me someplace to buy Star Wars cards, then coming home and like com- constructing two decks. This was a playing card game, a collectible card game, and uh, listeners and playing against myself. Uh, there was not a, um, there wasn't like a big 
outside factor in like where I directed my enthusiast tendencies. Um, so yeah, by the time, by the way, we were 15, it was 1999. And uh, so I wasn't old enough to drive. I was old enough to, you know, be places. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and, but I wasn't like calling the shots there. Um, so like that, that period was, was weird, uh, for those reasons. And like, I spent that summer, um, going to that movie a bunch of times. I think I had a shirt. I had at least one episode one themed t-shirt and you just sort of was, I was like feeling it out, like writing it out. It's like, well, this is a thing I like. Um, and I don't, I feel like, uh, I never, it, I faded away rather than me. me, me I, I appreciate you describing that it was more of a conscious decision for you because for me, a bunch of things like coalesced into it just like happening. Like the, the book publishing rate went down around that time. I feel like the star Wars card people lost their license and the game petered out. Um, the movie came out like there was a bunch of stuff that happened that just sort of like dissolved all of the things that I rotated around, you know, outside of my control. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but by the time episode two came out, I was in college and we you know call, I had a bunch of other things to worry about. And I went to episode two and was generally already so fatigued by CGI in that year that episode two was like just more of, of that. Wait, what else came out? In I, that there, year? I, I could be incorrect. I'm not going to look this up, but uh, there was a, there was like a year or two there where it felt like every movie ended with some army of CGI things fighting another army of CGI things. Uh, the, the third matrix movie, <laughs> it didn't make sense. <laughs> the third matrix movie. Oh man, I'm with you. Dude. And it was just like a, a melee of CGI uh, in the third, um, the third <clears throat> matrix movie and the third Lord of the Rings movie both came out in the same summer. Yeah. What the heck, man? You're, I, you know, this is needs to be researched because those are both distinctly the exact thing that you just said. Like, it's not even an exaggeration. And it didn't need to be that way. I got to do some research. Hmm. All right. Well, you, while you do research, I will say that the, <clears throat> I do want to get back to this guest list because <clears throat> it does get interesting. But uh, that same summer, the third Terminator movie came out. And I had a very high opinion of that new that third Terminator movie that really it doesn't deserve because specifically things that were real happened in it. And I was so starved as an individual for something that was actually like a real thing that happened. There's a part in that third Terminator movie where they like um, there's like an out of control cherry picker truck. And it like goes down the street. Yeah, they destroyed a whole block. Yes, but that was practical. It is effects. practical effects. There's a b- entire block, and like uh, ultimately, the damage is like eight telephone poles and maybe twenty cars or something against like one bajillion of those octopus things that they shoot from their like um, you know mech suits with the chain guns and the end of of um, the Matrix Three. But that one block uh, with those real cars and act- and all of that entailed, it was like oh. This part of this movie is real. <laughs> Thank you. Just show me that on loop for 20 minutes to help me get through the fact that like all of these other movies are just renders at this point. Um, and I don't feel passionately about CGI one way or the other, other than feeling like that one summer that everybody went f- 
full CGI army. And like, there's no, you know, there's no prequel stormtrooper outfits in museums that anyone can see because zero stormtrooper outfits were created for the first, for the prequel movies. They were all, every single stormtrooper was CGI is my understanding. Um, I clone, agree. Sorry, it clone trooper. Tr- okay. I've, t- <clears throat> I've done a very cursory examination and it appears that the return of the King and the matrix three 2002 were released 2003? in the same year. Yeah. 2003. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a case of there being a tool and people being like, we should totally use this. And like, so looking for a use for a tool instead of looking for a tool to do what you want. Or, I mean, I get it. Like we couldn't have done those, that scale of battle before then, like at all. I, I mean, it would have been, it, it could have been a conscious choice. Yeah. Like they may have been like, you know what? Look, I know this looks sort of ridiculous, but this is what's going to sell. Right. And it's not totally ruining the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, okay, there's the judgment call right there. Sure. For me, and I know we've gotten real nerdy in this episode. Yeah. These are very popular Return movies. Return of the King, okay, look, Lord of the Rings is a made-up fantasy story. I get it. But it's culturally Hot take. important. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it, it takes itself seriously, at least in the in the writing style, oh, which yeah. is partly why it's interesting and, and Not hard to read. Obviously, but too serious. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's themes, important in, intentional themes, etc. All right. So when they had the spoiler from 2003 Please. or the 60s, <laughs> um, when they had the uh, the undead army <clears throat> follow Aragorn. And this is what you're talking about, or I assume. Sure. You know, swar- is that when they get off the boat and there are a bunch of zombies? Yeah, I mean, okay. it, it, it culminates with them swarming like a literal tide of green CG yeah, that, over that, everything. That movie culminates like, like five times, but I remember that specific one. Well, that's another thing. But, <clears throat> yeah, that whole battle, I really felt like it was a betrayal of everything that was important about that. But the culmination of that book series, because they had the technology to do something and they had all, they spent all this money making, putting horses out there. They did all this awesome stuff to make it to the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And then they just threw a big shovel of shit in there because <laughs> it was it was they could. I don't know. I, it didn't even make sense. All right, you're gonna have to like. Oh my god! You're gonna have to give me. I, 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 man, I'm looking at this list of people, and I want to talk about it, but I also want to know what I never read. Return of the King. <clears throat> oh, I've got a hoarse voice this morning. I've never read Return of the King. I read the first one. I read The Hobbit a couple times when I was a kid. I read The Two Towers up until the point where you get to the end of the move of what is the movie, and then you find out that the way that Tolkien wrote the book was to write one half of the book up until the end of the book and then start over at the beginning with with uh, the hobbits and their little trip. A different storyline. And I was like, no, I'm not going back. I, I made it this far. I'm not starting this over, but only the hobbit part. Forget this. So I've, I've read exactly half of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah. 1.5 books. You know books. what? And that's fine. So what? what, it's, what still, it's still like important 
to not mar its existence. Right, but I want to know what was the... In- I assume the the original writing did not say, and lo, Aragorn leapt forth from the zombie boat, and then there was a sweet green wave right. of zombie I mean, energy. I'm going to have to re, re-read it to be specific, but my impression, my, my third-scale impression, which is that I had recently read it, then I saw the movie, and now I'm remembering my feeling from seeing it okay. after having read it, which was that it was so much more subtle, like, it wasn't just is automatic. Like the, they were there and they aided in the battle, right? Okay. It was just another force that they weren't expecting. And afterwards, you know, the king's like, hey, you did your thing. Congratulations. They were undead, but they weren't like flying zombies. Like, oh, I it, see. It's so completely out of context and unsubtle. Like they were just an extra surprise force. Right. So in the in the movie, he jumps out of the ship and then there's like effectively just like lasers of zombies. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. it's like. Just zombie lasers. Zombie it lasers. would have been the same thing. And in the, in the yeah, book, it's this lasers. actually, what I'm hearing is this like really uh, a wonderful tale of human alongside orc, alongside elf, alongside zombie, or maybe they weren't zombies. Dude. Wait, what are they? They were the spirit. The un, the, oh, they are spirits. The Cause restless. Hmm. Undead. So you know, maybe they're zombies. Maybe you want to call them ghosts. Whatever you want to call I them. I think that you're but gonna. They were just. I'm. I'm starting to lean movie here because if they were zombie spirits or undead spirits or whatever, it's hard to pull that off in like a low key manner. Because what I was picturing is like, you know, they join into the battle and then maybe you have a nice scene where like um, one of the elves, um, let's say El, no Elrond wouldn't have been there. Um, if I'm gonna uh, Tilbereth. The elf glances to my, his left, and ne- to next to him, he noticed, you know, and then maybe there's a nice moment where the the zombie to his left glances to the right, and he's like, and the elf's like, hello, friend. And then they, like, both stab an orc. Like, there could have been a nice moment of, like, zombie-elf sort of bonding that the movie missed out on, sort of opportunity. Um, but... I think so. But if sure. this is a zombie spirit, I feel like you're you're... You're going to have a hard time playing that low key. I could see the movie being like, well, they're zombie spirits. Let's just go full lasers um, and just, you know, have them sweep down. Because you can't really have Look, a. They could have had them as minorly spectral, old looking warriors, right? They were mm. from a different time. Okay. And they were technically. The undead. The heck, they could have even been skeletons. I, I don't feel even care. like undead in spirit. I feel like when you say undead, you specifically mean a body that is was dead and now is not. If, it's haunted. It's it's a haunted. Yeah, but are they corporeal or not? This is your important question. Well, that's what I'm saying okay. is that they obviously manifested themselves in some way, mm. right? But you can you can take. A, a lot of liberty with a lot of things and make it hilariously insane, right? Like, Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was just disrespectful. It didn't make any sense. Disrespectful fact, to the undead spirit army that was both corporeal and not, I don't know. It was disrespectful to the writer who tried to make something. Otherwise, everything else is supposed to have some kind of boundary and sense and reason, and, and there was a, a whole backstory for them. Okay. Right? And then they just were like, yeah, well... And you know, it was even fine up until that battle scene, right? They found them. There were a bunch of 
crazy looking gnarly ghost warriors oh that's right they, they were like there. actually dudes in the earlier scenes i've seen this movie once maybe twice <laughs> but they were they like yeah, they yeah. were not waves of green super weapon when no, he no, found no. them and then originally. they get there okay. and then they rush and they're not even walking uh-huh. they just flow over like a green wave and i'm just was so confused like <laughs> Maybe they just ran out it of computer money. It was because of CG. No, no. They had too much computer money. Mm, that's true. It's a lot, a lot of people's problem. Too much computer money. Um, all right. So I've got the spotlight guests here. Now that we sort of, I think, I, 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 I uh, see and respect your opinions on the waves of undead. Um, I feel that way about the waves of robots at the end of the third Matrix. But I don't. I think that we don't have to go equivalently deep into that also there's no book to compare it to but that first matrix movie there's one of those things and it's very scary by the third matrix movie they're basically clone troopers like there's just a billion of them uh <sighs> hayden christensen uh ahmed best it's anthony daniels um possibly the actual best uh star wars related actor um, he used to write a column in the uh, Star Wars Insider fan magazine that I used to get as a kid that was very funny. Um, Alan Tudyk, um, you know, of Firefly and the voice of K2SO from the new movies. Um, Billy Williams, Forrest Whitaker, Ian McDiarmid, uh, Jason Isaacs, Peter Mayhew, you know, some names that you know. Right. Maybe some names that you don't know, like uh, the voice of Darth Maul on Star Wars Rebels, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that that may be a thing that exists. Mm-hmm. You got some, you got some animated show people kind of making top billing here. Um, the uh, Freddie Prince Jr., who actually is a voice, and so so he might be there. That would be kind of cool. Um, and then you get to your featured guests, which is a list like nigh eighty people long. Um, I'm disappointed that uh, 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 that the guy who played Wedge, whose name is escaping me, isn't there. It'd be really cool to meet him. But this one guy I want to point out specifically because his name is Anthony Forrest. Um, he he is listed as Stand Trooper in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> this man, thirty nine, thirty one years ago, thirty two years ago, forty wait, oh gosh, forty two years ago, stood in uh, in a, in a Stand Trooper outfit in Star Wars as an unnamed character, and here he is hosting an autograph and an epic photo op um, at the Star Wars convention. I mean, good for him, but uh, that's kind of that's, like... That's top building. Uh-huh. Wait, could I apply having seen the movies? <laughs> I think you'd have to get in line with all these other people. <laughs> Anthony Forrest, if I want to go get an autograph with Anthony Forrest, um, I can. it cost me $40, and there are three time slots. If I want a... Uh, sorry, a photo op's $40. An autograph is $50. Um, for for $100, you can get an autograph with Billy D. Williams. And for $199, top price at the show, you can be the proud owner of a Hayden Christensen autograph. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm totally not going to do that. But I think you should sign up as man who has watched episode one seven times. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, okay. it's another $199 if you want a photo with Hayden Christensen. So that's $400 for it's, what I would call it. How much? Uh, uh, a, uh, $199. Uh, 
for a photo and $199 for an autograph. I need to get in a movie <laughs> that people like. This is like this is like uh, I've always had a plan. And when I hear these like college coaches for football get these huge contracts, mm-hmm. just suck, get fired, and get paid for the next five to ten years, I always thought, man, if I could just trick my way into something just once, I'd be set, right? And this is a good example. If I could trick my way into one popular movie, just write it out forever. You know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking here, and he is. He had four time slots. Uh, three of them are. Oh no, all of his autograph time slots are sold out. There's one remaining photo op time slot, uh, and we're talking about Hayden Christensen, young Anakin or teenage Anakin. We're talking about we're talking about twenty year old man Anakin. who noted noted sand hater Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Uh, noted uh, child murderer Hayden Christensen. Dad gummit. And you know what? Obi Wan had the high ground. Noted I'm noted feeling haver <laughs> Hayden <laughs> Christensen. He did. Owner of low ground Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Owner of there. There we go. Um, he, uh, uh, he real quick. Also, you can though, get a team up photo with Hayden Christensen and Ian McDiarmid, but that one will run you a hot three twenty nine. No, I will. <laughs> I, that. As though that is one of my top five wishes in life, I don't think I can spend three hundred dollars on it. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, sorry. This it's worse than I thought, and now I, I I understand part of my problem here is that the undead army <laughs> in the book. I'm not going to let this go. No, it's cool. They took oh. over the. The, the fleet uh-huh. that was about to surprise. Oh, the I remember minister. that. Even right. I have read a fan rant about this issue. Right. But, but Aragorn had a, like a cadre of his awesome Duodane dudes, like these, you know, famous ancient hidden lords that, you know, whatever. There's this whole thing mm-hmm. and it's a cool idea. And it, and, and they, the ghosts sort of, scare off, kill, or, you know, run off these people at the havens waiting to sail into battle, right? Uh And they do walk across the water, as I recall. Okay. They don't don't green wave mist. But, you know, they scare the crap out of them. Uh, They're all dead, run away. Then Aragorn and his, like, super warrior dudes, who the whole movie has been built up about them being in hiding forever and dying off. Mm Mm-hmm. Come back and take the ships and sail in and surprise the enemy with real people who join the battle. And they just blew it up. I'm looking at GIFs of the sort of like a semi-translucent skeleton man's and Aragorn running. And uh, it's reminding me that many, many of the visual effects shots of that movie don't hold up super, super great. But this one in particular... Um, and I can't find it, but I feel like the moment where he jumps off the boat is also very funny from a, oh yeah. Okay. So he jumps off the boat and they just sort of like come out of the boat, <laughs> like yeah, out of the side of the of... boat. Yeah. All right. I will let this pass for now. Mm. I mean, an unnecessary, uh, there is probably, we don't need it as a society, but there is probably like a YouTube, uh, you know, monologue Cut. video of some of the weakest, 
shots from those movies because there's been you know the one nah the the uh the uh Elfman, the um orlando surfing off the giant elephant t- trunk is probably <laughs> the actual worst <laughs> shot of the, all those movies you know what even if yeah i'm not even gonna get into that um but <sighs> we, well we can just say that happened but i mean uh, those books, those books deserved a Game of Thrones esque, you know, uh, prestige miniseries. And what they got was our us as a, we as a society feeling out the epic epic movie trilogy. Um, somebody had to somebody had to be the guinea pig for that stuff. Um, those movie, you know, the stuff like that of that scale didn't exist ten years before that. It's like the um, superhero movie thing. Where like before certain superhero movies, oh, yeah, that's true. superhero no, movies were just I, like whatever, no, like Spawn. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to down on it. I mean, I do like those movies uh, for various reasons, but yeah, it was a betrayal. It felt like <laughs> they just they got there at the end and were like, "How much stuff can we throw into this?" This is something that Star Wars has. Um, incidentally, at best, you know, like I don't think it was a, you know, they've gotten away with avoiding this just because of the way that star Wars stuff gets made. But star Wars has never had the, Oh, well they did it in the book one way, but then in the movie they screwed it up thing. happen. Um, wait, because they, because they don't write the books, books first. So they literally right. never no No star Wars stuff begins. Oh, I'd book. say I talked to Timothy Zahn the other day at, uh, that Are you serious? convention in Pensacola. Oh, he's going to be, well, I mean, this he one. was, yeah, he was at, you know, he just had like a booth. He was sitting there with his book. That's cool. And I, you know, and I didn't read as many as you guys did, but you and like the glasses read like all of them. And I talked to him and he was actually really chill. But what was interesting and what I talked to him about was how, how much did that, does Disney let him make up? Oh. And how do they control that? I actually, and he's like, yeah, please go. Yeah, he, he, he said, actually, they pretty much let me do whatever I want, but they have a whole team of continuity experts mm-hmm. that keep track of everything that happens and has happened in its order. And they'll sort of review what he wrote and say, oh, hey, actually, they didn't have tie interceptors at this point. Change it to a tie, whatever. Uh-huh. But like otherwise, they he, he says that they don't bother him about what he puts in it. Hmm. I, uh, boy. I mean, it's incredible to imagine, though, that he's just this guy right. who writes whatever he wants. And <laughs> he, and Disney has this massive apparatus of people handling this IP. Well, that apparatus existed prior. Uh, the apparatus has gotten bigger and weirder because there's like TV shows now and there's a lot more oh, time. Yeah. But like, even in the 90s, there was the apparatus. Um, now, those books played a lot faster and looser for sure um with the canon and probably didn't always fit together great but like I didn't really care um I miss I mean I read boy I I don't know I I don't know I read one of the new Timothy Zahn books the uh the Thrawn one and it felt like all these books are being written in a much less uh novelly way these days like the style of writing even in his book the style of writing is think, really different. How much do you think it has changed, and how much do you feel you have changed? I mean, I'm looking at the uh, the my uh, my copies of the original Timothy Zahn 
paperbacks right there on my shelf. I recently cracked it for like a second and read two pages and it feels, I would say that now looking at that feels more like looking at the Lord of the Rings books from like a language and density and paragraph length perspective um, than like the newer Star Wars books. Um, even his newer Star Wars books, like the, uh, those books are weird and long, very long. And like they involve subplots of like people don't, people probably don't really remember. And um, like the people who say, oh, the original Timothy Zahn books are the only good Star Wars books. Those books involve like a clone of Luke called Luke Skywalker. <laughs> um, and like, a, it was really like pulp fiction it was, at some point. Yeah, it was super wild. And like, really, like I said, really long and, and winding. And, and complicated. Yeah. So we're saying that these are the books that they could make into movies, and like the more CG, the better. Like you're just <laughs> you're being more faithful to these books. The more you CG, like all the Lukes, we'll have six clones of Luke. They're all CG. <laughs> we don't even have a real Luke actor at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was multiple. I want to say it happens to another character too in those books. There's there were multiple like evil clones in the book series, but a bunch of other crap happened too. And they were huge and, and, and sprawling and, and like, what you're describing is any show that gets popularity and they're like, we're going to make as many seasons as possible. And season three is when it has to end to make sense. Well, you, and, and then there's season 10, which has seven evil clones, but they're now the normal clone people. And then the evil clones start having good clones, uh-huh. and you know you're just going down the rabbit. Clone hole. Wars two, it's here. Um, no, they. they I mean, <laughs> Clone this Wars was two, like the Luke apocalypse. Those were early books, right? Like that was that was like if you started the movie, the TV series on season well, seven no, or whatever. You started, and then we're going backwards, st- and now it's getting simpler. And the Thrawn book is fine, but also is a very linear sort of like explainer like that book doesn't have any like real secrets because its main goal is to show you how Thrawn goes from being like a regular dude to an awesome cool grand admiral but like it feels like and I don't I mean I'll take Timothy Zahn at his word but it feels like a book in which Timothy Zahn was given a outline of what should happen in the book and then just connected the dots for 500 pages Oh, that's uh, yeah. It was a bummer. Maybe he was. Maybe there was a guy behind the curtain. <laughs> like he was like, actually, here's what they told me to say to you. Like every about that. Every day he sits on a bench in a park, and a guy sits next to him and just like says, "Thrawn goes to college next." <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking Timothy Zahn was CG at the conference. Like I got mind trick Disney is in control of everything at this point. I, I think that Disney is in control of enough things that uh, Timothy Zahn has said the same thing at a lot of conferences and it shouldn't be held against him if it's not 100% of the truth. But I don't know. Let me just in- adjust my CG tinfoil hat over here. Um, I stopped reading Star Wars books because, not just because of that, but because like my investment in the overall like overarching Star Wars story is way more casual and I just don't feel I feel like too many of the newer books exist to like move one or two things around on this like bigger canon board and you don't have that feeling of the book just being potentially totally crazy yeah I think it's totally normal progression I'm also a a grown man (laughs) when you're younger like you know you have one you have more time for stuff two things you get into things more as like I don't know. They're just like this open-ended 
stuff you can just explore and get into. Right. Now I have very little time and I have to curate everything I do because I realize that there's a billion things that I want to do to improve myself. And like, it doesn't involve reading six of the same getting things getting the backstory of Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, filled in from like all you previously <laughs> probably knew about him was that he was in like one cutscene in a video game from 1994. But you wa- don't you want to know how he became uh, how he rose the, up the ranks from being the last of his species to the Grand Admiral of the? See, I'm just getting tired even saying it. No, and I and the thing was that it sounded like you were trying to spin a made up, never ending story, but I'm sure that no, was all fact. Literally, accurate. literally, what the book is about. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the Solo movie where it's like I didn't really need to know why his last name is Solo or how he got the gun or like necessarily how he met Chewbacca or how he won the Millennium Falcon or any or how he got the dice or any of the other like nine things that that movie exists to mm-hmm. tell you how it happened. <sighs> All right. Well, I won't hold it against I, I won't hold it against anyone, but I personally have passed my ability to be overly invested in that. Yeah. Maybe if I had infinite time. I mean, I'm going to the fan con. I still care. But I, I, my, in, my interest at this level is much more like, will I accidentally see Bobby Moynihan, uh, who apparently played a voice on some Star Wars movie, so he might be well, there. I was about to say. Looping back to right, SNL now characters. Lost. Now we've got L- SNL featured characters. Do I want to see? You could get your picture with Bobby Moynihan and Chris Red. What? Who is Chris Red? <laughs> Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, Chris Red hasn't been in Star Wars yet. I could feasibly see Bobby Moynihan, Donald Faison, and Greg Proops, and we could all just hang out and have a burrito. That would be good. Greg Proops is there? Greg Proops will be there, known as one half of the CGI announcer at the pod race in episode one, The Phantom Menace. Ah, damn CGI. Yep, he's one of the heads. Uh, If I want to get a picture with him, it's $50. (laughs) 